Good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to worship this morning. We're glad that you're here worshiping with us, and we'd love to have a record of your attendance, whether you are a longtime member, a first-time visitor, or someone that worships here on a regular basis. Grab that pew pad at the end of the pew, complete the information therein, and then pass that to the neighbors who are seated with you. Hopefully you've had a chance to look through our bulletin. You've looked hopefully also at our newsletter for the month. And you know that next Sunday we're going to have a pancake breakfast uh, about 9.15. That's going to be a way that we celebrate our children going back to school this week. Uh, it's a great way for us to celebrate them and have all of us go into a sugar coma during uh, worship. So we hope that you plan to be here and be a part of that with us. Also, um, we are going to still do those recipe books, and we're looking forward to um, getting those recipes in from you. So if you haven't had a chance to do that yet, please email Laurie or send those to the church. Also, I forgot to mention that after uh, worship next week, we're also going to go to the pool at Lakewood. So if you want to do that with us, we'd love for that to happen. If you're going to be a part of the Presbyterian Women Bible Study, um, you can get those books. Though You can make your checks payable to the church uh, to Presbyterian women, I'm sorry, and then you can, t- um, if you'd like to be a part of that circle meeting, that would be great. Uh, a little bit later this fall, you're going to hear me start talking a wee bit about a uh, possible trip to Israel from people from our church uh, with a friend of mine who has a church in Philadelphia. With everything that happened at General Assembly this year, one of the challenges that came out of General Assembly was for us to possibly uh, do work with Palestinians and Israelis. And so to that end, my buddy and I are uh, trying to put together a trip where we can meet with Palestinians and Israelis. Um, So it'll be something that'll be really neat for us. It'll be a small group of people just from our church and just from his church in Philly. Um, So hopefully you'll uh, be inclined to think about that trip. I know some of you can uh, probably, uh, but might be scared of Israel. I'll talk to you a little bit about about that. We probably won't get bombed. I said probably, you know, while we're there. But um, but anyway, we hope that you'll think through that with us and prepare maybe to go with us in February. Again, we're thrilled that you're here worshiping with us. Let's now prepare our hearts to worship the living God.
Amen. Good morning. Please join me in the call to worship that's printed in your bulletin. In you, O Lord, I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from my birth. It was you who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Come, let us worship the triune God. Now, if you would, please stand as we prepare to sing our opening hymn, number 260, Alleluia, Sing to Jesus.
And may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And also with you. Do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow about this promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And now let us confess together. Awesome and compassionate God, you have loved us with unfailing, self-giving mercy, but we have not loved you. You constantly call us, but we do not listen. You ask us to love, but we walk away from neighbors in need, wrapped in our own concerns and interests. We humbly ask you to make us like trees planted by the waterside, that we may bring forth fruits of your spirit in due season and readily share the abundance of your love. Forgive our past offenses, sanctify us now, and direct all that we should be in the future for Christ's sake. Amen. Friends, hear this assurance of pardon that comes to us from the Old Testament. Though your sins may be as scarlet, I have washed them white as snow. Although I have been able to do this forever, I have now separated your sins as far as the east is from the west. Know that in Christ's coming that he was separating our sins from us, that we may have a new life granted from Christ above. So know that you have been forgiven and be at peace. And pray also for me, a sinner. Amen. seated. Our Old Testament lesson today comes from Isaiah chapter 58 verses 9b through 14. Listen for the word of the Lord. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a water garden, like a spring of water, whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruin shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests, or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. 
You may be seated. And at this time, I invite the children forward for a children's sermon. okay. He can sit back there. Okay. I've got a question. Have you ever had a struggle? What kind of struggles have you had? Trouble at school? Yeah, okay. I was going to a new school. Going to a new school, yes. Absolutely. So I had struggles when I was in school too. Sometimes I just couldn't sit still. And so they would have to put me in a special seat, right? So that they could try to like make, that like that one, yeah. But it was away from everybody else. And so I had to sit by myself a bunch. I called it my special seat. Um, but it was, it was in a school a long time ago. But I was, I was not always the best listener. And so I would get to sit in a special chair from time to time, right? But I grew out of that a little bit. And um, so... One of the things that I want us to talk about, school starts this week, and we're probably going to have some struggles that we've not dealt with before, right? There's going to be some, knock, knock, who's there? The pie. The pie? The pie who? Pie in the face. Oh my gosh, not today. Not a pie in the face. That would be a struggle. That would be a struggle. Okay, so there's a story in the Bible about a lady, and she couldn't stand up straight for 18 years of her life. She was bent over like this, and so she only saw the ground. And so Jesus saw her one day at, like that, bent over, yeah, exactly, like that, yeah, there you go. And so Jesus saw her one time, and he decided to do what Jesus does best. He fixed her. And he said, you've been, you've been uh, blessed, you can stand up straight. You've been released, so now your body can stand up straight. But guess what? He did it on a Sunday. And back then, you weren't supposed to do any work on a Sunday. And so one of the leaders at the synagogue said, you aren't supposed to do that. And Jesus said, hey, man, chill out. It's not an exact translation, but that's close to what he said. He said, chill out. He said, hey, isn't it like, don't you even take your donkeys and let them drink water today? And don't you take your donkeys and cows and let them eat isn't it better that this lady gets to be treated better than a donkey or a cow? So I healed her on a Sabbath. It's okay. And so one of the things that I want us to talk about is we're going to have times in our life where not everything is great. Hold on just one second, okay? Not everything's going to be awesome. But there are always going to be people that are helpers. And this year you're going to meet some helpers, and they're going to help you with some of your struggles. And so God has put your teachers and the other helpers in your life so that you can, can be straightened out, and you can learn, and you can be blessed, okay? So this year, I want you to be really thankful for teachers and for people that try to help you, okay? Especially moms and dads and grandmas and uncles and cousins, right? Yes, sir. I'm not, sir. I'm sorry. You're correct. I apologize. Yes. Do dinosaurs have to eat? Yeah. Well, not anymore. They're gone. They're extinct. But they used to eat. Some eat meat and some eat plants. You're exactly correct. That's exactly right. Yes. It's just like people. Some eat meat and some eat plants. Right? Okay. 
Just like animals, exactly, precisely. I'm glad that you got this. Okay, so we're going to pray, and we're going to thank God for dinosaurs, and we're going to thank God for our helpers, and we're going to ask God to give us a great school year. Okay, let's pray. Dear God, you rock, and we love you. And we're so glad that you healed that poor woman on the Sabbath and taught us that people are more important than silly rules. Help us this year in school and thank you for our teachers and our helpers and thank you for dinosaurs. We love you. Amen. Okay, go sit down. I invite you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 10 and go through 17. Listen to God's holy word. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. And when he laid hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began to praise God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox and donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? And when he said this, all of his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. May the Lord add blessing and understanding to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Let us pray. Holy God, we do thank you for this day. We thank you, God, for the story of your son teaching us the right way to live and the right way to see this world. We ask, God, that this text illuminate for us a vision for us that will alter us and have us go into this world and be people who are helpers, people who are changers. We say all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. August 22nd, 1741 was a sweltering day in the city of London. And there was an elderly stoop-shouldered man who wandered the streets His nightly aimless wandering through the streets of the city had become something of a familiar ritual. His angry mind raced back to the memories of great adulation and then looked at the future of seemingly hopeless despair. For 40 years, this bachelor had written operatic music, which was the rave of royalty in both England and on the entire European continent. 
Honors had fallen at his feet. He was in demand everywhere. Then things changed quickly and drastically. Fellow musicians became jealous and bitter. Members of the royal court reacted strongly to his abrasive manner. A rival gained great success and envy began to grow. As though that were not enough, a cerebral hemorrhage paralyzed his entire right side, and he could no longer write. Doctors gave him little hope for recovery. So the old composer traveled to France and began to soak in baths that rumored to have miraculous powers. Doctors warned him about staying in the scalding water for such long periods, but he ignored all of their advice and at one point stayed in these heated baths for nine hours at a time. Gradually, his weakened muscles began to receive new life. And as his health improved, he once again started to write. Soon, to his amazement, his works were being received with rapturous applause. Honors again began to flow. Life seemed to be heading for the stars. But then he found himself in the pits once more. Queen Caroline, who had been his staunch supporter, died. England had found itself on hard economic times, and it seemed to be a waste to warm a theater for people to simply sit and listen to music. So all of his shows were canceled. And now he found himself wandering aimlessly through the streets once again. Having wondered where in the world God was, he wandered back home. And when he got home, he opened his door, and he found a wealthy gentleman waiting in his living room. The man's name was Charles Jennings, who had startled England by rewriting all of Shakespeare. Jennings explained that he had just finished writing a text for a musical that covered the expanse of the Old and New Testaments. He believed that the gifted musician was the man to set this written work to music. And he gave the manuscript to the composer and challenged him to write. And as he walked out the door, Jennings turned long enough to say, the Lord gave me all of those words. The great maestro scoffed at his audacity, the audacity of this rich young man. No one had ever challenged this musical genius to write something that he had first not written himself. His temper was violent, and he was a dominating presence among his enemies. Why had Jennings not brought him an opera, something that was more of the composer's cup of tea? The audacity of someone to march into a man's domain parading around his wealth and his position and demands such a strong-willed notion. None of us like the audaciousness in others, but we rather think it's a strong point in ourselves, don't we? I thought about this story and thought it was really kind of neat um, that it lines up that tomorrow would be the anniversary of when this all kind of started, right? Back in 1741. But I thought about how audacious Jesus was. And then even how audacious the leaders of the synagogues were. And so I hope that I can make this first story tied into our second story make sense for us today. This is 100% a Lucan text. It's not found in Matthew or Mark at all, certainly not in John. And for the first time since chapter 12, um, 
Luke is speaking to a different kind of crowd. We had heard that Luke, not Luke, Jesus is speaking to a different kind of crowd. Luke had told us that Jesus had this multitude of followings with him, but today he's at one of the synagogues. And so for us to kind of understand uh, the synagogues, they kind of, they came around, generally speaking, after, um, well, let's just hypothetically say they've been around about 100, maybe 200 years. Uh, it was a way for people that couldn't get to uh, Jerusalem to the temple to make sacrifices or to learn. The synagogues kind of became a secondary kind of school so you could have education for children. You could get together and have the readings and things like that, but not the sacrifices. Synagogues really became more important after Jerusalem fell uh, in 68 AD, but at the time of Jesus they were more like a community center kind of place. Which is why it doesn't say the priests said, it said the leaders of the synagogue said. Who could have been priests, but more than likely they were, they were just religiously uh, devout people who were there leading worship on the Sabbath. So Jesus has the audacity to see this woman who has a weakness. She has a weakness that has created a lack of strength. That's some of the definitions of the word that's used in Greek. And really, she was bowed together. So she was almost bent 100, 180 degrees towards herself. She was unable to do much of anything. The Greek also suggests that this woman is not able in any sense physically or spiritually, psychologically, or even eschatologically to raise herself up. What does all that mean? Well, okay, so she's depressed. She uh, doesn't have a lot of hope in life. She can barely feed herself. And, and because of what people thought in the first century about folks that had an illness, she can't even literally save herself. So in death, she's not going to be, uh, she's not going to be forgiven then either. Okay, so she is suffering a great amount of sin uh, in the eyes of the people of the first century. You might think back to the parable uh, when the, the young man was blind and, and folks asked Jesus, uh, teacher, who sinned? Was it the parents or was it the child that caused this, this man to be blind? So that's kind of the same idea with this woman. She's the kind of person, a crippled female, that people typically just didn't see, right? She's not worth, she's a woman, she doesn't have a man taking care of her. She's clearly involved in sin somehow because she's got this crippling disease. And so most people just ignored her. Except for, starts with J and ends with Jesus. Jesus. Okay, just make sure you're paying attention. So Jesus sees her. He sees that she needs mercy and she needs love and she needs attention and assistance and healing. And so... He's kind of wondering why nobody else has done anything, right? So he sees her, and he calls to her, and he says, you have been released from your weakness. You've been released. Now, that kind of plays in line with the idea that something had bound her, right? We don't know exactly what that something is until a little bit later in the text, but people that probably heard her uh, heard Jesus make this comment to her that she's been released, they may have thought that he meant you've been released from your sins. Not really exactly what Jesus is saying here. Um, how many of you are English 
dorks enough to know what the plue perfect one 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 self-admitted English dork. Who knows what the plu per who remembers diagramming sentences and, and talked about the pluperfect tense of sentences? Anybody remember that at all? Okay. You do? Yeah? Okay, right. So pl- do you remember what it means? It's okay, I won't put you on the spot. So pluperfect uh, means that there's a past action that has occurred that has ongoing results. Okay? So we fought the British Navy and Army in 1776, passed, and now we are a free country. So that, that I would use the pluperfect to say that we, we fought and now we're free. Does that make sense? That's an easy way to look at it, okay? Or I got shot in the arm and now it doesn't work, right? Shot would be past tense. Okay, so Jesus is saying, you have been released from what held you, past tense, and now it's going to have ongoing results. She doesn't have to do anything else the rest of her life. The past result has been taken away. The past action has been taken away. You have been released from your weakness. The forgiveness that Jesus issues has ongoing results, and we'll never have to see that kind of forgiveness again. So, He didn't say, I've healed you. He didn't say, I've cured you. He said, you've been released or set free. We might translate it, forgive. But really what Luke is trying to do is that there's a weakness that's been caused by something else. Now, what's that that thing? What, What has caused this action to grab hold of her? Most everybody else in that area would say, it's sin. Something happened, and so it's caused this to occur, and so she's been held in sin. Jesus would argue completely differently. Jesus would say that this weakness has happened because Satan has done this to her. And so when the synagogue leader says, there are six other days for you to come here and be healed, today's about God, you really should be paying more attention to God, not not this work. Jesus says, you're a hypocrite. You are an absolute hypocrite. Now, we love to say that word, right? Especially, you know, the people that make us mad, right? Because we know that they've done something. They've done the exact same thing that they're telling us that we shouldn't now be doing, right? As a child, right? When your parents told you, don't do this, one of the very first parts of us coming to our own realization was saying, but you do that, right? And so when you learn that word hypocrite, it's great to throw that in your parents' face, isn't it? You're just a hypocrite. You said I can't watch this show, but you're watching this show. You told me I have to go to bed, but you stay up later than me. You're just a hypocrite, right? Well, what does the word hypocrite actually mean? It means actor, right? So the people that were Hollywood actors at the time in the first century, they were called hypocrites because they didn't even believe what they were doing. They were acting upon this notion that they became a completely different person. And so when Jesus looks at a synagogue leader, he's really saying, you're just pretending to know what you're talking about. You actually have no idea what you're talking about. And then the synagogue leaders kind of 
maybe perplexed. And so he really does kind of directly quote Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 13. On six days you shall work, but on the seventh you shall rest. Now Jesus, being Jesus, says, well that's okay, I'll give you that one. But let's not stop at verse 13. Let's also read verse 14. Not only are people not supposed to work on the Sabbath, but nothing else is supposed to work either. But I know for a fact that you take your donkey to let him have a drink on Sundays. That's a beast of burden. You even take your ox to let it eat. That's a beast of burden. It's working on the Sabbath. Should not this child of God, this child of Abraham, the one who's been given this huge blessing back in Genesis, that, that the ancestors of Abraham will forever be known as God's people, should she not be treated better than a beast of burden? And then Jesus kind of also throws another line at him. Chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, verse 15. For remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt, and the whole reason that I'm telling you you don't have to work seven days in a row is because you had to work every day of your life for 400 years. All of your ancestors worked for 400 years. They never got a day off. And so the only reason you have a Sabbath is so that I'm telling you the gift of being part of the seed of Abraham is that you get one day a week where you don't have to do anything. It doesn't mean thou shalt not work. It means chill out. You don't have to do anything today. Right? But, but, if there is something that you can do to make someone else's life better, if I have this opportunity to heal a woman who has been enslaved for 18 years of her life, why should I not be able to heal her? What Jesus gives this woman is the same thing that God gave all of us in the Sabbath. God gave freedom. Christ gives freedom. And Christ is saying to us, if you really knew the book of Deuteronomy, you would know that the Sabbath is freedom. It's really a freedom for us to celebrate the fact that we don't have to do something else today. And furthermore, it's been Satan this whole time that's bent this woman up. Sabbath practice is to celebrate freedom from slavery to sin. We don't have to, we don't have to sin anymore. I, one of the things I used to teach all the kids in confirmation class is that we've had this radical look at what the Ten Commandments we're supposed to be and what we've kind of turned them into. One of the first things you learn if you take, you know, advanced history classes, or maybe if you took a history class in college, is that Hammurabi's code, which predates the Ten Commandments, has basically the exact same kind of rules in it as the Ten Commandments do. Has anybody ever taught you that? Does anybody know what Hammurabi's code is, right? Google it today. I promise you if you type in Hammurabi's code, you're also going to end up with an article that links you to the Ten Commandments, okay? It predates the Ten Commandments by a few thousand years. Same general principles, 
One big difference. Hammurabi was a king who declared that these were going to be the rules of the land. It was a human person. God gave us the Ten Commandments. Also, God gave us rationales to understand what the rest of the Ten Commandments mean. See, we take it out of context. We just try to take, we just pop, pop those little verses out and say, here's the Ten Commandments. And it all says, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not. But really, the context, what's packed into the Ten Commandments, is that you are no longer required to have other gods besides me. You no longer have to defile your mother and father. You can honor them. You no longer have to steal or lie or cheat or murder for you to survive. You are free. You're free to have a place where you can love God and you can love your neighbor. Which is why precisely in the Gospels, Jesus would say to the, to the teacher, to the lawyer, depending on which gospel you're in, what Tell us the greatest rule of all. The greatest rule of all is to love God with your whole heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. It encompasses all of the law. The, the preamble to the law that God gives us in the Old Testament is the Ten Commandments. It's like our Bill of Rights as a Judeo-Christian grouping of people, right? But it's not really pointing down, it's not that nasty teacher that you think of with the bent little finger that always separates you from everybody else. It's not that person telling you you're wrong. It's God saying, you no longer have to be this way. You are free. You are free. You don't have to stand in judgment of each other. See, that takes, I think, that takes the cake for a hypocrite to look at somebody else and tell that person everything that they're doing wrong. Because in their mind, they think that they're getting everything absolutely 100% correct. Right? Well, if you ever meet that person, just simply look them in the eye and say, Jesus loves you, and I'm going to try. Right? <laughs> That, that will stab them in the soul if you say something like that, right? People that love to point out how, some, how wrong somebody else is is the definition of being a hypocrite. And I think they're actors of the faith. If you, if you ever have wondered why people don't come to church anymore, I think we could probably preach this text for the rest of the year and still not get it. We're not called to be the people that tell other people what they're doing wrong in their life. Contrary to 2,000 years of past Christianity. Okay? That's not, that's not what we're called to do. We can, if that's the, if that's the road we want to go. There are plenty of churches that do it that way, right? Let's, maybe let's not, let's be audacious enough to not be that. The audacity that some of us claim in seeing how sinful someone else is places us in the corner with the synagogue leader instead of with Jesus who has forgiven and released this saint. 
the embittered old composer indifferently began to read the music's text. Suddenly portions of the passage leaped from the page. His eyes fell on such words as he was despised, rejected of men. He looked for someone to have pity on him, but there was no man. Neither found he any to comfort him. The composer's eyes raced ahead. He trusted in God. God did not leave his soul in hell. God will give you rest. And finally the word stopped at, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Rejoice. Hallelujah. And he picked up his pen and he began to write. And music seemed to flow through his mind as though it had been penned for years. Putting music to the script, he finished the first part of his musical in seven days. The second section was completed in six days, and two days were given to the final tuning and the instrumentation. Therefore, at the age of 57, do you know who it is yet? You do, right? Yeah, you do. No, he's not paying attention. It's okay. <laughs> George Frederick Handel completed the Messiah in 24 days, all because a certain man had the audacity to recognize the hidden away talent and joyous castings of a vagabond. This is the story of Jesus. This is the story of Jesus' amazing grace with humanity. He saw and sees within all of us something to be saved, something worth redeeming. So friends, let's be like Jesus. Let's be audacious, let's extend love, let's extend grace. And that's something that we only know because Christ has loved us and Christ has given us grace. Let's be audacious with our love. And let's accomplish this only through the help of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Now let us stand and declare that which we believe in the recitation of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. This time we're going to continue our worship by the giving of our tithes and offerings.
Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you so much for the many gifts and blessings you've given to us at this time. Lord, as we return a portion of these gifts to you now, we ask for your wisdom, for your courage to use these gifts in a manner in which you see fitting. All this we say in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I have several prayer requests to share with you this morning. Um, from Wendy Harvey, her father, Leon Strain, uh, is going to have some medical testing uh, this week, Dave, or... Okay. <laughs> Excuse Bless me. You. Woo-hoo. Mercy. That was gross. Okay. Um, <clears throat> also, Harvey Payton had uh, an aortic dissection uh, at CAMC uh, and is in stable condition. He had two stents put in, so pray for the Payton family as well. Um, from Miss uh, Donna, uh, God bless her. It's been bit of a rough week for her. So her daughter, her daughter, her sister Janet um, came up to help with her sister Diana. Diana got the port put in this week and has started taking chemo. Um, Janet came up to help um, with everything this week and then she was experiencing chest pains and back pains and she had a mild heart attack and had four stents put in and is at Thomas um, Mike says that they hope she'll come home today um, and then she'll be traveling back home to South Carolina probably on Tuesday, right? Yeah, on Tuesday. Uh, so continue to pray for, uh, for Diana and Miss Donna, but also now Janet uh, has had this as well. Uh, Wanda has, I have forgotten every Sunday to say this, but Wanda's sister is going to have a heart cath uh, on Tuesday. Her name is Connie Berry, correct? Yep. And so we need to pray for her. Uh, Kim and Keith have asked us to pray for their children again. Um, those of you that were here when I was installed probably remember um, my boss at the time, uh, Tom Hasty, who was a Presbyterian. Um, he's a pastor at Milton, First Presbyterian Church in Milton. He's a lay pastor, uh, but he has had cancer for the last two years. He died on Monday. Uh, so Milton Prez is uh, without a pastor, and then poor Tom uh, is, is no longer suffering with that, but still, uh, his memorial will be this week. A friend of mine from Pennsylvania, his name is Jason Latchall. He's my age, and he's going to have, we don't know exactly what kind of cancer he has yet, but uh, he's going to have surgery um, Tuesday. Uh, I'm going to call and pray with him uh, tomorrow uh, for his surgery. It's uh, an extensive surgery, six-week recovery following surgery, and then possibly chemo and radiation as well. And then my cousin, uh, Crystal Casey, was in the hospital this week in Logan in the ICU uh, with some health issues. So um, certainly a time for us to pray for all of the needs that we have this day, uh, but these are all things we'll add to our prayer list as well. So let's uh, bind our hearts and minds together as we lift all of these petitions to our Lord and King. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you so much for this day that you've given us. We thank you also, Lord, for your majesty, for your love, for the care that you extend to each of us, for the grace that you extend as well. We thank you, Lord, that for us, on days where we feel like the, the crippled and ignored 
bent over woman. We know and recognize, God, that you see us and that you release us. We pray, God, that you would lead us to be the people who see others and see their need for release, their forgiveness of sins. God, we have this list of requests from our friends and from our family. We're thankful, God, for the people in the world who are healers, who have answered the call to the ministry of healing. Lord, we lift these, our beloved, to you. Those who are healing, those who are preparing to be healed, those who are resting from treatment, and those who are caregivers. God, we pray that you would continue to bless those who are recuperating. We pray also, Lord, for those who need for you to be the Savior. We pray, God, for salvation. Lord, we're mindful of all the school districts returning this week for education. We pray for the teachers and for the children. We pray for the parents and for those who are caregivers. We pray with those, for those, Lord, who will inevitably help with homework, and we pray for patience, God. We ask that you would bless those little minds that they may learn, allow them to be sponges with knowledge. We pray, God, for our globe. We pray for peace around our globe. We're thankful, Lord, that we have men and women who have historically fought to keep our country free. We thank you, Lord, for their yes to be our protectors here on earth. And God, we don't always understand this, but we know that you ask us to pray also for our enemies, and so we do. We pray, Lord, for a day where there will no longer be a need for a standing army or navy. We may beat our swords into plowshares. We pray, God, for a day where peace is the order of the day. We pray, God, for peace in Ukraine. We pray, God, for the Russian military to see the air of its ways and for Putin to recall his troops. We pray for protection for Taiwan as China is working towards what we all understand to be an invasion. We pray, Lord, for peace there as well. We pray, God, for those who are worshiping this day out of fear of persecution or imprisonment or suffering or even death. God, we do not understand this as we have the freedom to worship, but we pray for these, our sisters and brothers. We pray for our community. We pray for our president, the leaders of our nation, our state and local leaders. God, we ask that you would bless us so that we may be a blessing to others. Because we are a community of faith, we pray for those who are seated to our right and to our left, in front of us and behind us. In the stillness of this moment, Lord, we pray for ourselves. Holy God, we are amazed by your grace and the glory of your ways. We thank you so much for sending your son to earth that he showed us how to live and taught us also to pray. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please stand as you are able for our closing hymn. Hymn number 649, Amazing Grace.
I've always uh, tried to tell our kids, well, we've always tried to tell our kids to be bold, right? To be, to be kids that are, whatever it is you want, just, just go grab that. Like whatever it is you can do, go do that. Don't, don't, don't hold back. Just go grab life. Go, go be who you want to be. I don't know if that's right or not, but that's what we do, right, as parents. We try to tell them every year, like, Jamie's big thing is be, be strong, be brave, be courageous. Did I get it right? No, I didn't get it right. <laughs> Close enough to that. I try to mimic it as well, but I don't do that well either. But we want them to be thinkers. We want them to be, to be bold, to be compassionate, to, to, to make friends, to be a friend to others. And I think that I see that being taught to us by Jesus. I mean, if you radically try to, to, to put into words what it is that Jesus did, everything that he taught us to do is what got him killed, right? He was nice to people. He treated people well. He, he broke down barriers in places where we weren't supposed to break down barriers, you know? He had the audacity to heal a woman on the Sabbath, in a place where people taught about not doing work on the Sabbath, right? Think about how audacious Jesus was, how bold he was, how brave he was. We're called to be followers of Christ, but Christ taught us also to love, to not judge, to welcome, to not barricade. And I think that's something that all of us can work on the rest of our lives. So I encourage you, this week, be bold in your love. Be bold in your faith be a person who cherishes the gift of humanity in every human you meet this week. Amen? Now, if you said amen, that's going to be hard. <laughs> that's not going to be easy. That's almost a trick question, okay? <laughs> but let's do that. Let's be bold with our love this week. Now I receive the blessing of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. May he be with us all until we meet again, either here or his glorious kingdom come. Amen and amen. Happy Sunday. was listening. <laughs>